Welcome back to Podcast 4 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. Follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Shot Quality Bets. For a 30% discount off Shot Quality Bets, please visit Shot Quality. Use the promo code ODDS23. Get a new perspective in handicapping college basketball. If you'd like to support the Odds Breakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theoddsbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any of our winning handicappers to get the premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Odds Breakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. We have a wonderful show for you today, my friends, because it's a huge weekend in sports. We're going to talk about some NFL wild card weekend i'm actually going to be doing that live on youtube and if you haven't subscribed to our youtube channel and you want to get the plays before some of these lines get out of hand feel free to do that at the odds breakers and we have a massive weekend in college basketball and we are bringing in eric haslam the founder of haslam metrics to discuss how to use his site how it can benefit you and a couple of the big games coming up this weekend in college hoops. Before I get into that, our podcast and website picks have went 64% against the spread in the NFL this season. A fantastic record if you've been making our plays that we give out on this show or from mine personally on theoddsbreakers.com. So I'm very happy for that. Had a successful NFL year up to date. Obviously more NFL to go. So I'm very pumped about that. Also want to talk a little bit more about college basketball. I've been focusing on college basketball since November, really, since its inception. But it's getting more and more prominent. We have more and more data and I work every single night and day on college basketball. And if you would like to benefit from my college basketball package and Ozbreakers membership, only $300 for the rest of the year. That's about three more months of college basketball play. I was 62% last year during March Madness. Would really appreciate any of your support. And if not, of course, we always give out some free plays on this show that will air every Friday morning uh, at pretty much 2 a.m. I also want to thank all of you listeners out there keeping the odds breakers going. Really appreciate the fans of theoddsbreakers.com. We are trying to try to give back again in March Madness with another contest that will reward our listeners and subscribers. Uh, Give them a little competition for March Madness. We always love doing that. And any new member or subscriber from here on all the way through the NCAA tournament will get a free golf polo from the oddsbreakers.com. Now you can show all your friends how much of a degenerate you are when wearing the oddsbreakers shirt. All right, before I talk NFL... I want to get into 
the Bears hiring a new president of football operations in Kevin Warren. Now, I'm one of the few people that were against this hire, and I have a few reasons why that is. Now, obviously, I hope that I'm wrong as a fan, but I've always been under the impression that people and teams that lose congregate together. They find other losers to lose with, right? And that's why I always thought of the McCaskies. When pure logic is staring them in the face, they tend to run in the other direction, right? People of that mentality tend to be smitten by BS, okay? So that's the first red flag is the person doing the hire. You always have to think about that. But secondly, I mean, let's look at Kevin Warren. To me, he's much more of a politician than a leader, okay? Now, he's worked his way up the ropes, and he is very responsible, not like he did the building, for the Minnesota Vikings stadium. And that's what is being sold to you in the media about how great of a hire Kevin Warren is. Okay. But let's think about that for a little bit. The Vikings built a new stadium. How much brains does it really take for somebody to hire the latest technology and the latest contractor to build a nice sports stadium. It's not him doing the designing and the thinking. There's tons of prototypes already out there that's better than what is out there today. Okay? So he's getting credit for that Viking stadium, yet we really do not know how much involvement he had in the pure design of it. I'm going to say probably none. Right? I mean, he's a president of football operations. You know, he was a chief operating officer for the Minnesota Vikings, and he was an executive vice president from 2005 to 2014 of legal affairs and chief administrative officer of the Minnesota Vikings. Okay? So one thing I do know is that even though the Vikings stadium is very, very nice, it still doesn't quite compare to AT&T Stadium that's older or SoFi or Allegiant. Now, that's really a moot point. I'm sure that Kevin Warren knows some people and will probably get a good stadium done for the Bears. That's great. But I don't give a crap if the Bears are playing in SoFi Stadium or a freaking high school field. I want them to win games. I want winners at the top making those decisions down. If you look where the Big Ten is compared to the SEC uh, since 2020, probably even since before that, it is on a downward spiral, spiral, right? Now, numbers-wise, you can say, well, the Big Ten had four teams in the college football playoffs. Well, let's just see how that happened. 
when Ohio State played Notre Dame, they kind of get got beat up a little bit. Took them all the way to the end to really put that game away. Then Ohio State got to play Arkansas State and Toledo, a very bad Wisconsin team. Rutgers, bad Michigan State team, a no-offense Iowa team. Penn State actually outgained them in yards. They only beat Northwestern 21-7. to That was a close game. A lot of win, though, that game. Indiana's a bad team. Maryland was okay, and they're a lot more in that game than this 13-point loss. Then they lost to Michigan by 22 points. They probably should have beat Georgia in the championship game. But Ohio State has always been there, right? They get the top recruits in the nation. I'm not giving him credit for Ohio State. Michigan, on the other hand, another very good school. But if you look at their schedule, they got to play Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn in the non-conference. And then, of course, they blow the scrubs away in the Big Ten. They beat Ohio State. And then they lose to TCU. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that Michigan's a bad team at all. They're a very good football team. But Kevin Warren didn't do anything to improve that. The Big Ten hasn't had a football championship since Ohio State in 2014. When there was poor officiating against Ohio State in the Fields game, did he speak up and say something? No. He didn't do anything to help them. Looking at college hockey, I mean, remember Minnesota? The Golden Gophers used to be the team of the Big Ten that wins all those championships? Well, they haven't won a championship in hockey since 2003. Michigan State was the last one in 2007. And then finally, if you want to talk about college basketball, the Big Ten hasn't made one since Maryland in 2002. Maryland. Now, is this Kevin Warren's fault? No. Not all of this is Kevin Warren's fault. But since COVID happened and you had these kids screaming at Kevin Warren that it's safe for them to play, the Big Ten was the last conference to make that decision and allow them to play. Okay? He wasn't answering the kids. He wasn't giving reason. He sat there quietly. And that's another way the SEC and some of these other conferences got to step up from some of the kids on where they decided to go and play football and basketball. Okay, that's my opinion. Well, actually, some of it's fact. You can trace some of that. Look where these kids are getting recruited. So in my opinion, his tenure at the Big Ten, they just got worse. So going even past that, looking at what he did at Minnesota, when was the last time Minnesota has won an NFC championship game? The last time Minnesota won an NFC championship game was never. That's terrible. Never. And Kevin Warren has been involved in that organization since 2005 all the way through 2019. So I just want, as a fan, the Bears to hire winners. This man might be a businessman. Maybe he can get a few things done. 
but his record looks just like what the McCaskies would hire in someone that absolutely has no clue into how to build a winning organization. Now, the good news is that maybe Matt Eberflus is going to turn out. Maybe GM Ryan Poles is going to turn out because, to be honest with you, I don't have a bad opinion on either of those guys yet. My sample size isn't big enough, but I see some good things that they're both doing. And I don't judge this rebuild year on the Bears over the next two or three years and what I expect from them. I expected a bad year. That's why we bet under six and a half wins for plus money for the Chicago Bears. But what I will say is that if there's going to be another hire, you can make damn certain that Kevin Warren is going to be deeply involved in those conversations. All right, let's get into a little NFL wildcard weekend. And there is a ton of big games to discuss. And the odds have been pretty much moving all week long. As you can see from our Betfred odds, Seattle and San Francisco is the first game this weekend. San Francisco is a 9.5. Uh, favorite here, home favorite, and the total in this game is a pretty low number at 42. Well, this is interesting because you have two relatively inexperienced quarterbacks. I mean, Geno Smith has a heck of a lot more experience in the NFL than Brock Purdy. Now, a lot of things went the Niners way when these two teams played each other in Seattle. I actually, I'll be honest with you, I was on Seattle and lost that play. But what I will say is there's still a big issue that you have an inexperienced quarterback. You might have the best coach in the NFL right now in Kyle Shanahan, though, which definitely helps. But, you know, Seattle is disrespected in this case. And I have to, you know, just think to myself, You know, what would I be feeling if I was coming into a game against a division opponent uh, this big of a dog? The way that Pete Carroll must be thinking is, well, I would expect him to try to slow this thing down. You know, you don't want a ton of offense coming from George Kittle, Debo Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk, (laughs) CMC, right? You want to try to slow the clock down a little bit if you're Seattle, but you actually have a very good weapon when it comes to uh, slowing the clock down. You know, Seattle, very good rushing team, 4.8 rushing yards per attempt. That's one of the better teams in the NFL at rushing. I would say probably one of the top teams in the NFL at rushing. Uh, The problem with Seattle is the Niners are a good rushing team too, 4.7 rushing yards per attempt. They just kind of got better at the end of the year, especially after Christian McCaffrey got his feet wet. But Seattle gives up 4.9 yards per attempt, while San Francisco, the best defense, at least against the run, only gives up about 3.4 rushing yards per attempt. So, I mean, the spread in this game, not going to lie, my number is over seven. Um, I would love to grab Seattle here in this situation. And I think it's a very volatile game. You know, what if the the, uh, 
event is too big for Brock Purdy. You know, that could happen with a young quarterback, you know, coming into such a big situation like this. Seattle Pete Carroll being smart, running the clock, stacking the box, making Brock Purdy beat you with his arm. Maybe you just double cover, put a safety over Kittle. Maybe you have to just make Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk beat you, which would beat you with a good quarterback, you know, with a Tua, with a Mahomes, yeah, with a, a Burrow, right? Uh, even with an average quarterback, probably like a Kirk Cousins, uh, that would beat you. But we don't know a lot about Brock Purdy. So if I'm Seattle, that's how I'm playing this game. You know, I am trying to put the pressure on them. You know, my number is very close to this. I have, just because San Francisco has been so powerful recently, I have it around the minus eight and a half, minus nine range. But if I had to make a play in this game, I would I would bet Seattle. Uh, I would definitely play Seattle. It would be dog or pass in this situation. Uh, I also think that Seattle should be able to put up some points. What I do like about Geno is that, you know, he obviously has over, uh, I believe, 30 touchdowns and over 4,000 yards passing. He's got great receivers there. You know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, you know, really, really good receivers. 6.9 passing yards per attempt, not great. But if he can just have a good game and, uh, you know, show up against San Francisco, maybe, maybe he can get the ball to his receivers because I think if there's any weakness in San Francisco's defense, the Kansas City Chiefs exploited it this year. What the Kansas City Chiefs did was uh, throw over the top. Um, Mahomes had a wonderful game. All the receivers did when they dominated San Francisco in San Francisco in the air. You know, first get the ball quickly out of Geno's hands. Don't make him sit in the pocket. And that's what the problem was with Pete Carroll when they first played. They made Geno sit in the pocket. The five-step, seven-step drop stuff, which you know guys like Joey Bosa are just going to eat you alive in that situation. So um, if Pete Carroll can be smart and just get the pressure off Geno, quick dink and dunk, quick slant type plays, wheel routes to the running back, and then when San Fran's D tires out, you can start screwing around a little bit. But play action, I don't know if I trust Pete Carroll enough to do that. Looking at this game, I almost think that maybe the money line would be a play if you had to play it because you're going to get uh, very good odds uh, on the money line at plus 410. I bet Fred right here you can see it is at plus 410. So uh, it just seems to be a volatile game when you're playing against a rookie quarterback with only a couple games of experience. So there you go. Uh, I, I, I feel the spread is close, but I definitely will lean to Seattle. And if this, for some reason, gets past the 9.5 to the 10.5 range, the EV would say, for me to make a play on Seattle. So it, in that situation, I might. So that was my thoughts on that game. Let's move on to the Chargers versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. This has kind of been back and forth here. It is now up to two and a half. I have to assume that maybe Mike Williams has a good report. I've been looking at it all day, just like throughout the year. Uh, still less it is questionable. Wasn't spotted in the media access portion 
of Wednesday's practice, so no report yet. Um, Rayshon Slater is coming back for the Chargers, which is very good. Uh, you know, the Chargers still have some serious problems when J.C. Jackson, one of their best corners, got injured back in October. Uh, they have some defensive tackles that are hurt, which definitely worries me. The interesting to, thing for me, and I, I think this would be a different spread if Jacksonville looked better last week. Trevor Lawrence had a bad game, and he probably kind of had a little bit of nerves. Jacksonville kind of turned into the Jacksonville franchise a little bit against the Titans, but thank God their defense at the end really kind of came back. Trevor had a bad game. It doesn't mean that they weren't necessarily not hot coming in to the playoffs, you know? Um, the Chargers have a huge hole against the run. You think Seattle's bad against a run at 4.9? The Chargers allow 5.4 rushing yards per attempt. We also know that Trevor Lawrence is a very good running quarterback. I think in a game this big, do-or-die type situation, you're going to get Lawrence running the ball some. And I think I like the Trevor Lawrence rushing prop. And I not a lot of props are loaded yet, but I'm probably going to lean in that direction. And I'm just seeing if anything is updated right here. Uh, game props, player props, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Nope, just anytime touchdowns are up. So nothing up yet, but I expect maybe in the teens you're going to get a play on uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, for his rushing yards. But Trevor Lawrence has been known to take off running, uh, especially in big games, and you've seen him do that many times in Clemson. You know, So if, if Jacksonville has, you know, I, I guess uh, – weaknesses it is their defense their defensive epa uh hasn't been great over the years or sorry even even this year i think they're kind of in the middle ish well they're number 12 in epa this year that terrible um actually a lot closer to average but you know that's that's the problem what my issue with the chargers you gotta admit justin herbert is a fantastic quarterback uh justin herbert's got Great weapons if Mike Williams is available. But this is still a really tough spot for the Chargers. They've been traveling all over the place. You know, they, they made a really weird move by playing their starters last week. You know, I, I mean, I can't figure that out. I know that Joey Bosa got a little banged up last week. Now, the good news, he's not on the... Uh, Injury report, right? Joey Bosa is not on the injury report, so that's huge for them. But um, I, I think that's going to be a shootout, okay? I, I can see Jacksonville putting up some points and uh, throwing to Ingram and some of their great players over there. And the Chargers have Everett, which I think is maybe the most underrated tight end in the whole game. If there's an issue where Mike Williams is not going to be playing this game, and this is a quick turnaround coming to Saturday. I'm going to be certainly look to some Gerald Everett props and see if that's available. I played the over at the 47, and I still like this over at the 47 and a half. You know, really not a ton of movement. I I don't think Jacksonville's defense is any good, and I think you can kind of look what happened against the Titans and just uh, brush it under the rug and say, well, 
That's not how they've been playing recently. I expect a big bounce back. One thing that you can look at in this game is a teaser. And that's what I will be partnering with on another play when I get to that. I think Jacksonville is a great teaser leg because they are A, at home, and B, they have the better coach, right? I mean, it's not even close. You know, Doug Peterson is definitely uh, a much better close than Staley. And you saw that last week. So you're going to get a coaching advantage with Jacksonville. I also like the fact that Peterson's a Super Bowl champion. You know, he knows how to get his team ready. I, I was really hoping this gets to three. And if it gets to three, I might have to also make a play on Jacksonville. But right now, this is the perfect teaser leg, in my opinion. Jacksonville, 4.7 rushing yards per attempt. The Chargers are only at 3.8. But keep in mind when they, they throw the ball to Eckler. If you count like those screen passes and stuff, then the Chargers are certainly uh, a better team you know, than you think in that, in that area. But coaching-wise... You definitely give it to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But quarterback, you give it to the Chargers. You give the quarterback to the Chargers. Home field advantage for Jacksonville. Uh, my numbers definitely uh, don't have the Chargers favored. But then again, the Chargers were a lot more banged up midseason. So interesting scenario. Love the teaser leg in this situation. Let's move on to the next game on Sunday now. We have the Miami Dolphins versus the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills are minus 13.5. Uh, the total of this game is at 43.5. Man, I, this is just a bad situation for Miami with the Tua. You know, I mean, if you've had this many concussions, you might be prone to them for the rest of your career. They have to have a doctor clear you, you know, when it comes to concussion protocol. They have to have a doctor clear you. Even if Tua is okay to, let's just say, last year's standards or the year before, the media has put so much pressure on the NFL that if Tua gets another concussion, even though he clears it, that would put blame on the doctor himself. So which doctor is going to come in and clear Tua to play in this game? That's one bad thing going for Miami. The next bad thing was, you know, Skylar Thompson's not that good of a quarterback, and it has shown. Uh, it showed uh, when he played the Jets a couple times. It's pretty much shown all season. I, he wasn't that good at Kansas State either. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what they saw in him, but I took this at plus 11 thinking that Tua should be able to play. I probably should have, I, well, I definitely should have waited. I have a bad number on this now that it's 13, but there's a reason why it's not going to 14. And there's the reason is this Buffalo. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, Demir Hamlin's going to come back and uh, he's going to watch the game and it's going to charge them all up. But what's that going to do for their safety? You know, what's that going to help them there? If you watch that Buffalo New England game, Buffalo lost that game without two special teams touchdowns. Even the Matt Patricia-led Patriots were moving the ball against them. The Buffalo Bills on defense has been massively leaking oil. You know, that is a big concern for me. You know, Buffalo used to be a top defense. They've moved all the way down to top seven in their defense. 
And over the last six weeks, I'm just waiting for this to uh, populate, but here it comes. You know, Buffalo is top 10 in defense over the last six weeks. They're giving up yards, you know? So maybe like Mike McDaniel, who is supposed to be this Russian guru, can kind of put it together. Now, I expect Tyreek Hill to play. He's uh, on the injury report. He left last game, but I was thinking he left last game more uh, for the fact that, uh, you know, precaution. He, he's actually not even on the injury report. Raheem Moster broke his thumb. Does a running back need his thumb? Kind of. <laughs> Hold the ball with the other hand. Cradle it a little, little bit. But they still have Jeff, Jeff Wilson over there, which is very important. Jalen Waddell was limited in practice. I expect him to try to get through it. Uh, it does say Jeff Wilson was uh, ill in practice. Uh, even Teddy Bridgewater was limited in practice. So there's a chance you could see a Teddy Bridgewater sighting. It, it is do or die for them. So when Miami played them in Buffalo, I, I got to tell you, I like how Mike McDaniel seems to know McDermott's stuff. You know, he seems to know how uh, that team will prepare for a game and how they beat you. I mean, Miami could have won that game in Buffalo the last time they played, and it was in the freezing cold temperatures. Now, don't get me wrong. With Skylar Thompson, anything is possible. You might see that massive Buffalo offense, and it doesn't matter how bad their defense is. You just wait for the quarterback to screw up, and this thing is covered. Right now, when I give it out at 11 or 13, not, not sure I would. But I think there's still a lot of paths to victory for the Miami Dolphins here. I mean, how many times has Buffalo just given up the lead to inferior teams? The Packers got back into that game, kind of. Well, they covered the spread, I should say. The Vikings came back. You know, the Vikings are quite fraudulent, and we're going to get to that game, trust me. But uh, the Vikings are a very fraudulent team themselves here. So <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, I can see the Bills kind of come in a little bit overconfident in Miami, slowing the game down, running the football. That could possibly happen with a guru uh, like McDaniel. You know, he was the Russian guru that came from the Kyle Shanahan tree. I think that's very important to look at. You know, I'm looking at the injury report here. Doesn't look great, but I expect their tackles to play. Taron Armstead, Kendall Lamb, you know, a couple of the other guys. I expect their uh, linebackers to play Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb. They, they played last game. You know, they're, get, they're getting a nice little break here. But, you know, this might be one of those games where the Bills fans might be biting their hands. Now, I think the Bills win. It's either going to be a blowout um, or it's going to be a closer game than uh, most people suspect. So I, I, I hope it's Bridgewater for my bad bet, but I just wanted to kind of cover why I still think there was a chance that uh, I'm actually going to be in this game. Let's move on to the next game. The, Min the Minnesota Vikings, minus three, hosting the Giants. God, man, I've been waiting for this spread to move up, and I finally had to make a move because it's not. You know, sometimes when you've been doing this for as many years as I have, you know when the thing's flattened out. And I don't even think the public can move the Vikings up to three and a half here. The total of this game is high at 48, played in a dome. I mean, what's, what can you say about the Vikings? They Yeah, they finished up a really bad Bears team that wanted to lose last week. 
What did they look like at the Packers last week? Just absolutely incompetent and terrible. Now, the Vikings did play the Giants uh, earlier this year, but the Giants were more banged up. I do have a play on this game, and my number is certainly not at three. So both these teams, very, very, well, I don't know if they're overrated. They don't belong in the playoffs. They, They both were outscored by their opponents if you add up all the points uh, during the regular season. I think coaching got the uh, the Giants there, and I think talent got the Vikings there. You know, the Vikings, what are they, like 12-0 and in one-score games or something? Just a crazy stat, but this could be the one that bites them. Both teams are negative .4 yards per play. Negative .4 yards per play, okay? Minnesota's weakness against the pass uh, they allow 7.3 yards per attempt. They aren't great against the run either, allowing 4.5 yards per rush. Not like one of the worst, but probably bottom 15, 20. Yeah, maybe, I would say. Uh, no, 15 or 10, I would say. The Giants, their weakness is against the run, allowing four point or 5.2 rushing yards per attempt. But will Dalvin Cook be able to exploit that? I'm not so sure. That's the whole problem here. The Vikings only average 4.1 rushing yards per attempt this year. They're very, very banged up on the offensive line. You know, when I pull up the uh, Vikings injury report, uh, it is extremely concerning um, on the offensive line. Uh, You can see guys like uh, Austin Schlotman, right, from January 4th, placed on IR, one of their guards. Brian O'Neill, tackle partially torn Achilles against the Packers put on injured reserve, both on January 4th, right? And then you look later, Garrett Bradbury, their center, banged it, banged up. I think he missed last game. Don't really know what's going on there. I think it's a knee, but he's possibly going to miss this game. Imagine your center that calls the plays, you know, possibly missing this game. I don't like that. You know, I think that uh, the Vikings are certainly a little bit more, uh, I guess, susceptible to getting rushed on, you know, uh, pass rush. I think that uh, it's nice that Zedarius Smith's off this injury report. When last time I looked, it was. I was going to mention his name, but he's not. Um, I, I think they're going to get an offensive tackle back in Brandle, but he hasn't played in a long time. So I'm very concerned for the rushing game. Only 4.1 yards per rush. You know, that is something to certainly think about. But Saquon Barkley has been an absolute beast, and he's got the genius of Dayball kind of behind him. The Giants' strength is really running the football. 4.9 yards per attempt, right? And if the Vikings are giving up, you know, 4.5, there could be a little bit of discrepancy there. Also, this game rests on Kurt Cousins' shoulders. He hasn't really shown good in big spots, prime spots, right? I mean, this is the normal time, but he knows all the eyes on this game. Uh, I like how the Giants rested their guys. You know, they, they said, we're not beating the Eagles. Webb, get in there and play. Daniel Jones, take a break. Let's kind of regroup and just uh, recalibrate and get ready for the playoffs. They are in the number six seed already. They probably knew they were playing the Vikings too in this situation. Both teams 
giving up more points. Both teams giving up more yards per play. Uh, that Vikings defense is just despicable. <laughs> to put it nicely, I think the Vikings defense uh, in EPA per play is pretty low. I uh, can't find the stat right now, but it's definitely in the bottom uh, third in the whole league. You know, the Giants defense isn't that great either, but it'll just take a couple easy Kirk Cousins mistakes. Vines, okay, here it is. Over the last uh, six weeks, the Giants are 20th in defense VPA on a pretty easy schedule, including the Bears in there. I'm taking the Giants plus three. Uh, I think it's also a good teaser leg if you want to tease them uh, with somebody else. But uh, right now at the plus three, uh, I love this play. I, I think the Giants definitely have a shot uh, to win out. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Please. So the next game we're going to talk about is the Baltimore Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals. And let me share my screen here so you can see. For anyone viewing, uh, minus nine and a half now for the Bengals. Well, uh, this is on Betfred. Uh, the total is 40.5. Unfortunately, you know, I've been giving this out all week. It was at the seven, seven and a half when I gave out this teaser leg with Jacksonville. Uh, now it, it crossed this uh, threshold here, which uh, makes it unteasable. I'm going to check uh, DraftKings to kind of see where they're at. Yep, both nine. Everything's at nine and a half. And it's kind of everything I said about Lamar Jackson. You know, he's not playing. There's more reasons in injuries that we don't need to get involved in. But either way, uh, it's bad for the Ravens. It's bad for the organization. It's an ugly look. And I'm sure the players are going to rally together. But right now, I I can see a lot of upside with this Bengals team. I took the Bengals at minus 5.5 personally. It moved to 6.5 right after. Uh, I, I thought about it. Then I gave out a small play to uh, subscribers at the six and a half and now it's moved to nine and a half well the Bengals was a wonderful teaser leg so now I have to get off that (laughs) but I will say that I probably still would play the Bengals at the nine and a half I think the Bengals are kind of in that pissed off situation you know they they could have put more points on the Ravens last week they just wanted to win and get in the playoffs but they feel a little disrespected because they feel like you know they were pretty honorable in what happened to Demir Hamlin and I respect that, and but they also got punished for it because they had a legitimate chance to be number one if the pressure was put on Kansas City to lose to the Raiders. Well, that didn't happen because, well, there was less pressure, but they could have been the two seed coming in here. Now, this is their only home game, assuming Buffalo wins, right? <laughs> they have to go to Buffalo. I mean, so they're kind of in the same boat as they were last year, but they're a better team because they fixed their offensive line, right? I mean, that's the most important thing is the trenches. I've always said that. I've always said that when it comes to handicapping games. The trenches is the most important thing. Baltimore is a rushing team, and they average 5.2 rushing yards per attempt. Cincinnati doesn't run the ball well. They average 3.8 running yards per attempt. But they can throw the ball to Pirine. They can throw the ball to Mixon. You see a ton of that. Um and you also see them do it in the uh, during their games, right? You see them do it during big games. If you remember how big Mixon was last year in the playoffs, it was absolutely huge. I mean, the big thing is Cincinnati's passing game just towers over Baltimore. But Baltimore's got the worst passing game in the league. Or one of the worst, okay? The Bears are the worst. But, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, team statistics, 
in uh, passing yards per attempt. You know, Baltimore is right there at the bottom here. Uh, they're ranking 23rd in passing yards per attempt. And in passing yards per game, Baltimore is 28th in the league. They're a terrible pass. And I don't expect Huntley to pass well. He hasn't shown he can. Um, and I certainly don't expect Brown to pass well. I think this is almost kind of be like a free-for-all. Cincinnati kind of putting the stop to them. You know, a lot of people are nervous for Cincinnati. I'm not. Cincinnati is my number one team on my power ratings. I think they are the most complete team in the whole league. And the reason that is, is because they're just extremely good on offense. They have T. Higgins, who's a beast, tall beast. They have speedy Jamar Chase, who, I mean, him and Jefferson may be the best two receivers in the league. I mean, Tyreek Hill's there too, but Jesus, man. Uh, pick your poison there. I mean, he, who would want to face any three of those guys, right? DK Metcalf too, I guess, but put those three up there. I mean, what are you going to do? You got T Higgins, you got him. You also got Boyd, who was a number one guy three, four years ago before they were blessed with T Higgins, you know? I mean, Cincinnati is just massively powerful. Cincinnati got a little banged up on the offensive line a little bit earlier in the season. And I guess that's my little bit of hesitation, but you know, when they lost, uh, Lyle Collins, they still had some good backing. You know, they didn't take a ton of, uh, offensive line injuries. As a matter of fact, Lyle Collins on December 30th was, uh, the first one. They recently lost Alex Kappa, which is another guard, a little bit of suspect too. But um, T. Higgins was sick, and he's now came back to practice. Uh, if you look on the Baltimore Ravens side of things, they've certainly hit the injury bug a lot worse. Now, J.K. Dobbins is playing, and if the Ravens want any chance of sniffing uh, this game, they have to run the football. Gus Edwards was had a concussion. Uh, he was at practice, so I'm guessing he's going to play. Uh, Tyler Huntley was throwing, so... You know, he's possibly going to play. Uh, just so much questionable right there. But, you know, they lost guys like Devin Duvernay. Uh, they lost guys like John Ross, their linebacker. <laughs> you know, I love the fact that they have Roquan Smith, and Roquan Smith better have that $20 million a year game if they want to be close to this. I'm going to give you a lean at minus 9.5 on the Bengals here. Um, they should be able to just exploit over the air uh, against this Baltimore team. Uh, Baltimore's just going to have to come up with a lot of different blitzes if they think they're going to get to Joe Burrow. It's going to be a hard-fought team game for on that side of the ball. But Burrow's just so good and go so crafty. Um, you know, I expect the Bengals to uh, show up here and win. I love them as a teaser leg down to the two, two and a half. I, I got them down to minus one when I did it early, but at the nine and a half, I certainly cannot recommend a teaser leg going to three and a half. That would be a negative EV move. Finally, let's get to the Dallas Cowboys versus the Tampa Bay Bucks. And man, this is this is kind of like the Jacksonville spread. You got the home dog here in Florida. Tampa Bay plus two and a half. The total is 45.5. I mean, it's a it's a perfect spread and a perfect total, in my opinion. Here's why. Metrically. I have the Cowboys winning by five points. You know, 
Sorry, it's after all the after after Dallas's last game though. My numbers came through. It's minus four now. I have Dallas minus four. Tampa, of course, played a lot of scrubs last game. They scored that first touchdown and then obviously put their scrubs in. There's a couple things with Tampa that I didn't like this year. And well, for one, their coaching is terrible. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't like Leftwich as a cor- as a coordinator. I think Leftwich is. Uh, just a bad coordinator, just like Todd Bowles is a bad coach. But do you need a coach with Brady? I mean, Brady's kind of shown before that he can somewhat be the coach like we used to see a little bit with Peyton Manning. So uh, Tampa Bay Bucks lost Ryan Jensen, one of their centers, and uh, Robert Hainsey, their backup center, uh, was ruled out for the rest of the game against the Falcons. So that's a little worrisome. So you got to look at that a little bit. Uh it looks like Josh Wells uh, went to injury reserve too, one of their tackles. So I'm a little concerned for the offensive line. I expect the the heart of the team to play. I think that Evans has finally woke up. He's been a horrible fantasy wide receiver this year. Godwin's been the better receiver. Uh, you still got Julio Jones there that just probably waiting for the playoffs, you know, at the you know, twilight of his career. He's, <clears throat> it's like, yeah, it's, He's a playoff guy, right? So the thing about Tampa, it's funny looking at them being a dog here when you remember how it was in the beginning of the season. Not much has changed except for on Dallas's side. You know, they, they probably got a little bit worse than their perception in the beginning of the year, right? You know, Dallas has been banged up. Um, they're banged up on the offensive line a little bit. They are, uh, Biotish, their center, is questionable. Uh, their uh, one of their offensive tackles, Steele, was put on injury reserve in December. Uh, Matt Fairnock is uh, their guard is uh, going to possibly return, so that's good. But Tampa was a lot more injured during the season, and they kind of came back a little bit more healthy towards the end of the season. That's why you see them kind of make a run. Um, going back to Dallas, Leighton Vanderesh, I think he's a key linebacker here. And if he can't make it in this game, I don't think they're going to stop Tampa. That's my problem. Because Tampa, scheme-wise, plays perfectly against a team like Dallas. Dallas needs plays to develop to ball hawk, right? They have that ball hawking defense with digs there. They jump routes and things like that. But Tom Brady gets rid of the ball very fast. And he can kind of smell some of that early stuff out if they're going to play press or move the guys up towards the box. You know, if anything, um, I compare Tampa to a basketball team. They Basketball teams that are good in college shoot the three a lot, and they, and they score at the rim a lot. They don't do mid-range stuff. Well, that's Tampa. They, they, make, they put their players in position to get extra yards, yards after catch. They're a very good yards after catch team. And then they'll throw deep over the top and Godwin to keep your defense honest. Well, that's the way to beat Tampa uh, Dallas's defense. Quick, get the ball out, get the guys in action. Then Dallas's defense can act, get absolutely stomped, and uh, I've seen that happen before. Um, the reason that I, well, that, that's one of the reasons that I don't like my minus four number on Dallas metrically. Um, another reason, Rolstad is the official here, and I'm one of the few cappers that do look at officiating numbers. Rolstad is 58 against the spread uh, for away teams. I think that's key. 
I think that's very interesting. And uh, I, I hate going against guys like that. It's burned me in the past. And that's why I started doing this a little bit more. You know, if you look at Rolstad, teams average away 22.4 and teams at home average 22. So that even means you're taking the home field advantage out. All Craig Rolstad games has the away team scoring more. And there's a large sample size. He's refed over 90 games, <laughs> you know? So that's massive. I think you got to look at that. And so I, I don't know what he's going to do. I always said that Tampa has the biggest home field advantage out of uh, pretty much any team. So it, it goes a little bit against that narrative. But I'm fighting between perfect metrics, the Cowboys, and how powerful they are. They should be able to you know, beat this Dallas team or this Tampa team. But you can't give the Cowboys much of a coaching advantage with McCarthy there. Because uh, even though Todd Bowles is bad, McCarthy is worse. And I'm sorry, but you got to give the quarterback advantage to Tampa. So I'm really torn on this game. Uh, I think the Dak Prescott interception prop is in order. <laughs> you know, you might want to you know take a look and see where that is because he's been throwing a lot of picks lately. And if they're in a bad situation, you know, they're going to force the ball a little bit. So look at that prop. Um, I'm sure that prop's going to be a popular one for a lot of teams, actually, this game. So. Um, I kind of wonder how that one's going to go. Uh, I like taking both sides in this game. I think that a lot of people are going to look at some of the stuff I said about Tampa, how Tom Brady's just been amazing in the playoffs and they've just been waiting for the playoffs. They actually have a kind of the sneakiest path to number one too. They play an Eagles team that's been, you know, kind of hurting lately. Um, if they win this game. So they actually have a pretty interesting path. I, I didn't take any futures like I did last year. We had the Bengals at 20 to 1 last year to win the Super Bowl, and we hedged out of it at the Super Bowl, which was fantastic. I don't see any value this year. But I think if you take the Tampa Bay Bucks and tease them um, with another team, you can have an opportunity to buy out of it later. I think this spread is only going to get worse. I think it's going to get to pick them. I think there's going to be money coming in on a home dog here at Tampa. People are going to think Brady, 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 Brady. And then by that time happens, you're going to have your teaser lag at plus eight and a half. And then uh, you're going to be able to take like a pick them uh, for the Cowboys and have a nice eight point middle uh, for your bet. I would do it the same amount. So why don't we do that? Let's take Tampa Bay instead of Cincinnati for this podcast. Let's take Tampa Bay all the way up to eight and a half. Uh, and let's take them with Jacksonville all the way up to eight and a half. Hopefully the Jacksonville side covers, and then we're going to be in position for a nice middle opportunity come playoffs. So hope you enjoyed our NFL segment. If you have any other questions for us, feel free to tweet us at the oddsbreakers or email us at info at the oddsbreakers.com. Now it is time for the sharp side of the force. The Sharp Side of the Force is brought to you by BetFredSports.com. For $250 worth of free bets, please visit BetFred. Use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. Okay. Sharp NFL. And as you know, as these weeks get more and more towards the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot less games. <laughs> and then the Sharp Side of the Force will go away until next football season. We're going to get right into... The sharp money on the sides, 
Bills minus 10 and a half. Well, it did go to nine and a half, but now it's up to 13 and a half against the Dolphins. 74% of the money uh, and the tickets on the Bills, 87% of the money. Short money in the uh, Giants, plus three. There's some plus 100s out there that went to plus 110. 54% of the tickets on the Giants, 91% of the money. A little bit of a sharp side on the Ravens, a little bit of a pushback at the 10 down to nine and a half, 27% of the tickets, 54% of the money. And then sharp money in the Buccaneers, a little bit, 60% on the Bucks and 69% of the money on the Bucks from plus three down to plus 2.5. Let's move to sharp totals. On the Seahawks, Niners under 44 and a half to 42, 50% of the tickets, 96% of the money. A lot of rain coming that day. Sharp money on the under Ravens versus Bengals, 40 down to 40.5. 44 down to 40.5. 54% of the tickets and 93% of the money. A little bit on the Chargers, Jaguars over 77% of the tickets, 78% of the money. Kind of stagnant here a little bit at the 47 and a half. And the Cowboys versus Bucks, a little bit on the over, 44.5 to 45.5, 48% of the tickets, 73% of the money. Now, let's bring in our guest, Mr. Eric Haslam from Metrics. Now I'm very happy to welcome back Mr. Eric Haslam, an analyst and bracket specialist and founder of Haslametrics.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Haslametrics. Well, Eric, here we are again. Here we are. Conference season just ramping up. You know when the college football playoffs are over, I'm calling you. Know. You, you know, so thank you, Ben. It's time. It's our time of year. We've been waiting long enough. The NFL is starting to wind down. College football is over. It's it's college basketball time. It is certainly college basketball time. We are just right in the heart of the season right now and right in the beginning of conference play, kind of. You know, obviously the Big Ten now has those two December games, but this is really conference mm-hmm. play when it starts to hit and uh, – Lots of craziness happening. Ohio State losing to Minnesota. What is going on, my man? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, it's like Minnesota is one of the worst teams, and and that's why I joked on Twitter. I said, you know, that there should be a self-imposed ban for Ohio State from the postseason this year just, <laughs> just because you lost to Minnesota at home. I mean, even, even Wisconsin tinkered with that one. I was getting a little bit nervous, but they pulled through. But Ohio State losing at home to Minnesota, you know, inexcusable in my opinion. Inexcusable. That's not going to hit the headlines well tomorrow in Columbus, <laughs> my man. So (laughs) that's big 10 for you, dude. But, you know, geez, even a team like Minnesota can sneak a win away at a team that was ranked like top 10 on Ken Palm. Come on. That's just going to completely screw up. Hey, they were were 10 for me coming in the day. So, (laughs) and, and, and what was, uh, what was Minnesota? If I looked that up, 174, I think, uh, let me see here. Uh, no, worse than that. Two twenty nine. Oh God! I had the I had the projection at about Ohio State by about nineteen and a half, and yeah, that's why they play the game, right? That's why they play the game, my friend. Well, that is, I mean, that's the, we love basketball so much to talk about, and there's just this year is last year we had some some top teams. Uh, this year, I'm not so sure. It's just it just seems to be a mess, and it seems to be changing a lot. Uh, yeah. before I get to, I'm actually going to talk to you a little bit about that top teams, but before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit more about Haslametrics. Now we have our repeat mm-hmm. listeners and viewers that 
have probably heard you before, but it's always a good refresher, especially this time of year. Heck, when I go into a new site, I was like, what did I do with this last year? And then I kind of toy around. Right. And then I'm like, oh, that's right. That's there. That's there. You know, uh, yep. fingerprint, you know, all this good stuff. So um, why don't you explain to our listeners that are new what Haslametrics is and how it's different than other efficiency and prediction sites out there. Yeah. So what I ended up doing years ago was kind of following the the trail of other people just doing the four factors that were developed years ago. And, and I just kind of went down this road and I didn't like it. I just kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to take a step back. And I thought to myself, how if I were going to project the outcome of games, which is really all I wanted to do, I just wanted to put the original goal of Haslametrics was to perform better in bracket pools, and in particular, my own bracket pools. That's right. the reason I started right. it. Um, so I kind of took a step back and said, well, if I was going to do this from a you know, you know, clean slate, what was I going to do? And it all came down to scoring different places on the court where teams score different situations where teams score with a head that might have a higher percentage so what i did is i kind of stepped back and i said well what are the situations where a team might be inclined to score have a little higher percentage and how can they take advantage of those situations one of them would be scoring quickly off of steals and another one was scoring quickly off of offensive rebounds the second chance putbacks and based on a lot of the information that was out there in play-by-play logs, I was able to pull a lot of that data. A lot of people before that were just kind of using box score data. I looked at play-by-play data, so there's a lot more rich information there that I can pull out. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to do is I broke things down into situations where you had those second-chance opportunities, where you had those quick points off of steals, and then you had your set defense situations, which are just your standard half-court defense. And then I was able to pull out and say, well, I know I have – three-point data, that's labeled clearly in the play-by-play logs. Mm -hmm. I know I have what I call near-proximity data labeled clearly in the the play-by-play logs, which was alley-oops, dunks, layups, things like that that sort. And then anything else kind of fell into that mid-range. And so there, all of a sudden, you had your three situations, you have your three areas, and then you're able to, on both the offensive end and the defensive end, determine how well a team either performs or defends against all these different situations. Once you have that, you can break it down, just perform on all these transitive comparisons, and you throw it into a big algorithm and off you go. And that it started with just, you know, simple ratings like that. And then I graduated to bracketology, to, you know, projections of every possible Division One game, automated game summaries, automated team summaries. It's just kind of been a... Um, um, you know, a, a, something that I've just kind of built brick by brick over the years. And, you know, here I am. And I think this is like year eight or year nine or something like that. So here I am. I just keep chugging along. It's just a kind of a fun little project that I, that I, you know, keep going over the years. Well, it's been more than a project for a lot of the users. We love it. It's yeah. uh, great information and it's definitely different from a lot of the other sites. Cause you have different stuff out there, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I look at Haslametrics and I see it evolve. Uh, how do you, I, I guess the question is, how does the, how did you develop the algorithm? Was it you that actually did? I know you're the engineer, right? You you got the <laughs> mathematics. You could probably uh, have everything, yeah. you know, you strength the schedule and adjust everything based upon that through some of your equations. I used to do, I used to know more of that. I kind of forgot it in my old age, but uh, yeah. how long did it take you to develop all that stuff? Oh God! I, I mean, it was my previous job when I was really doing a lot of thinking, and I was—I came up with a lot of it 
on my drives to and from work. I remember as I was developing it back then, just kind of thinking, if I did this, how would I do this? And I remember taking that drive back and just kind of going through my mind, oh, I would do this. And then here I could make this comparison. And, and how would I degrade that comparison based on the number of days? And then, you know, and then the other thing I implemented as well was the whole analytically final thing, which was um, that was not at, at, at its core. Um, it was a creation by Bill James, actually where I, he came up with the idea of when do you call a game when it's mathematically out of reach? And the way he did it was a little bit different than the way I did it. I tweaked it a little bit, and then I kind of gave it that moniker of, of analytically final. And, you know, that's for whatever reason, that is kind of caught on on Twitter. People love that. They get the thing, hey, when is a game analytically final? Because people really want to know, like, when do I, when can I stop watching? And the earlier it finishes people are like yes now that was a great performance when you when you play at kentucky and you beat kentucky and the game went analytically final at like four four and a half to play in the game you're like wow we we killed them and with the last four and a half minutes were meaningless because we were that far ahead so that's kind of the idea behind analytically final and then that allowed me to say hey you know what after a certain point all of this game time all this game data is kind of garbage to me I just want to throw it out because I assume if the lead is 26 with four and a half to play, most coaches are not going to be playing their standard issue basketball. Yeah, they're running they're the clock. Their and they're, they're dribbling. They're running yeah, clock. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so I don't want that information. I want a team when they're at their best. And so I implemented that strategy as well. And from what I've gathered, nobody really says it outright, but I think a lot of people kind of took that idea from me and implemented implemented them themselves in their own analytics um, algorithms as well. So um, I, I can't say for sure that it was me that started it. Obviously, Bill James, who's not an analytics guy, or at least not you know doing what I do, um, he created the premise, but I took it, I tweaked it, and then I gave it that analytically final moniker that you see now. So when something's analytically final, you don't yeah. factor in the stats. Let's just say there's six minutes left and it's Gonzaga's yeah. going. So you don't factor in the stats after that, right? That, you, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. That is correct. Yeah. So um did you do you even adjust what they currently did adding on the extra time? Like for So what happens is your weighting of that game is actually going to be less because you're going to make these comparisons and I look at there's a, there I have a table behind the scenes that's called something like seconds in which tells you there's there's a grand total of 2400 seconds in a, in a regulation game, there's a certain point in the game where I say this many seconds in the game is mathematically over. And that's going to be your weighting that you use for that particular performance, um, that thereby. So if you have a game where, Oh my God, you beat them by, you were up by 41 with, you know, 19 minutes to play the game went analytically final. That game is actually going to carry, even though your efficiency numbers are going to be blown up, it's going to be, you know, <laughs> it's going to be huge advantage you're going to have a lesser advantage via time because the weighting of that game, there's only a segment of that game you're using. If you're using the full 2,400, you're going to get a full weighting of that game. But if you're using a portion of that, it kind of takes away from the the, the overblown numbers that you're going to see in those blowout type of situations. So that's kind of the way you balance things out. Um, you want to use that 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 blowout information. It did ha that game did actually happen, yeah, right. but at the same time, if you're not using the full 2,400 seconds in that particular game, 
you don't want to allocate the, the full weighting to it. If you if you get my meaning, yes, I know what you mean. So you do, you do a percentage of it, which makes total sense. I do. Yes, and, and, yep. and so, so my other, my, I, I was thinking you normalize it to the sixty minutes or, or to the forty minutes. That's you know. Yeah, uh, if you, I thought yeah. I thought normalizing you, could be another way of doing it. There, yeah, there's there definitely you could normalize. I you know I I've thought of that myself. Um, I, I just I guess the question would be what would I normalize it to, and that would be kind of the issue. Analytically, finals also another thing that you know if someone said it like in, in the NCAA wanted to utilize something like that I would say well you got to think do you want to use an optimistic analytically final or a pessimistic analytically final what I do is optimistic which means the moment it first goes analytically final when it passes that threshold game is over I stop I stop worrying now there is the you could take the approach of I'm going to take a pessimistic viewpoint which means if it passes that threshold and say the team that's losing goes on a 10-0 run, all of a sudden it now crosses back over to a competitive within reason. It's not mathematically final anymore. Um, so you could take it a number of different ways. You could say optimistic, you could say pessimistic, or you could do a mixture of the two. I don't like the, the pessimistic being- one at all because so scrubs can screw up and the coach already knows he's going to win anyway. You know, right. I, I, and, I, I wish I yeah. could tell some of my unders that I bet that it's analytically final. Quit playing, oh, guys. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I know. I know because I've seen that before. The lead is 27 and all of a sudden the spread was 16 and next thing you know it's a 13-point game and that's how it ends. And you're uh, like, dude, oh, come the on. scrubs come in and they're just trying to score all the way to the last second sometimes. You're like, are you serious? Yeah what the heck yeah there, right, there's right. a lot of stuff that you can't factor in but you know that's uh that's great stuff and I, I i love it i love that concept and it's so important when uh coming up with uh prediction models let's dive a little deeper to your site can you remind us what some of the features that are found on yours and not found in other places sure. Well, one of the things that I like is, you know, the all play estimates and and a lot of people will have those projections out there of any particular game that's coming up in the next week or the next month, whatever. I'd have that as well on the bottom of my page where I have all the upcoming matchups for the next week. You can actually get it. You can click on the little P there next to any game and that's an automated game preview. Uh, based on the stats, and it actually puts things kind of in the English language, and that's that's something that took me a lot of time. Um, so if you could click on I'll, any of those. I'll click on Baylor yeah, there you go. State for Saturday here. Yep, yeah, there you go. And so what it's going to do is it's going to give you kind of at the very top, it's going to give you the numbers, but then it kind of gives you the layperson viewpoint based on if Oklahoma State has the ball, if Baylor has the ball, and you're breaking things down into shot selection, shooting percentage, rebounding, turnovers, and free throws. Um, those are kind of the major areas. And then um, what I did is I wrote another little script behind the screen that just kind of takes all the numbers, translates them into the English language, and then kind of based on what it wants to say, it it has the option of saying things about a number of ways, one out of like five ways, because what I didn't want it to do is to be so repetitive that you'd see the same thing on every page. So it kind of gives a little bit of a twist on the English language um, on these particular pages. Um, So that's going to be your automated game previews. Um, If you come back to the main page, you're going to see what's called my all-play estimates. And on the main page, you'll see the all-play estimates. And there you can select any team. You can select a court, a neutral, away, home. Um, and then you can see how that team will be projected to match up. Uh, that's going to be lower, right below, right there. Okay, I'll play. There you go. Oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah, so right now, yeah, if you're looking at Houston right now, so if you look at Houston, you can see 
if you have it set to play in a neutral court, you can look at any of these teams and say, like Abilene Christian, if you're playing Abilene Christian, the projected result would be 81 to 53 on a neutral court. You can switch that around. You can change the team. You can change the court. That was something I definitely wanted to implement because I wanted to give people the opportunity to simulate the result of any game uh, between two D1 teams. Um, beneath that, you get to the bracketology deserves. Bracketology deserves were something that I kind of wanted to see if I can make an algorithm accurately project the field based on what I thought the committee found to be important. Um, pretty difficult to do because you're re- nowadays they're really relying on the net and you're relying on the quadrants, which rely on the net. And the net is just voodoo, jum- mumbo-jumbo, and God knows what goes into that, and it changes every year. So what I try to do is just said, hey, I'm just going to kind of use my own net. I actually have an H net behind the scenes, a Haslametrics net. And I kind of utilize that in the same way that that the committee does. And based on the things that I value, like quadrant one wins and your, you know, your Haslam net rating, it tries to come up with those quote-unquote deserves. And so this is kind of my attempt at, at recreating what the committee will do. Um, very difficult task. It, it never quite works out. A lot of them match up, but you always have a few flies in the ointment. Um, it happens. It's just kind of a fun challenge to see if I can pull it off. Well, it, the reason it's different is because they're human and you're not. So you're more right than they are, but they're the ones who make <laughs> oh, well, a mistake here, my man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. We, I was talking to, uh, I think it was Kerry Miller the other day on Twitter, and he had said something along the lines of, isn't it funny, like, uh, you know, five years ago, this team would be trash because the RPI told us they were trash. Now, all of a sudden, nobody cares about the RPI, and now we fully believe that this team is trash because the net says they're trash. And I look at it and go, I, you know, I, I don't want to blindly follow one rating system or another. Um, I Obviously, I, I created this for a reason, but I understand that other people out there may want to look and value other sites or other ways to evaluate teams, and I completely understand and encourage that. Um, but it's, you know, in this situation, um, it's just a merely an attempt to try to to project what the field's going to be based on what I think the committee would deem important. Yeah, I think I think it's wonderful, and I love how you can just pick any matchup. It's like my team can be better than yours. Okay, let's go to Haslametrics and find out who is really going to win. You just put it right, right in. You can bet your buddy and uh, and, and win that way. Just uh, of course, right. don't, don't tell him you did it ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. And then I also I also want to touch on the, the team summaries and the team summaries. I think have the most value. If you're looking, just click on any blue link on my page for any team, okay. and it brings up a lot of information. This is the page that I rely on the most. Um, you can see a lot of the numbers at the top. You also get another layperson ex- explanation for that team, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Um, one of the things this year I added was a sortable schedule with results. That was a that was one that I really wanted bad, and Ooh, I, yeah. I finally implemented that. Um, so now you cannot in – in the past, I just showed, like, your best five performance, worst five performance, last five performances. Now you see the whole schedule, and you can see – you can sort it by – how they should have performed, how they did perform, how their their uh, efficiency margins were on offense or defense, their overall game rating. So I love seeing the whole slate now, and you can really identify patterns with certain teams where they've taken off, and you see a bunch of reds at the top and a bunch of greens at the bottom. As, as it so happens, I'm looking at Michigan State right now that had a bunch of reds near the top, and now all of a sudden I see they've had positive game efficiency ratings in six of their last seven games. So Michigan State is a team that is starting to turn the corner, look at play a little bit better. 
Um, going down, you have curious trends. You have a you have an all play percentage ranking by day. You can look at team history, see how a team has progressed over the years based on my rankings. Um, just a lot of information there that you can get lost on, and that's just you know, I like there's that right there is the the schedule and the results. Yeah, I forgot to, to put it on the screen here, but yeah, so you, this no, is should yeah. did difference. I love this all play percentage because yeah. you can kind of see where the team is trending. Now, this is just kind of you know game by game where they're ranked on Haslametrics, right? Mm-hmm, uh, correct. Yeah, but, but I do like to see the the curve. So I can see when a team is starting to trend up a little bit. Maybe something happened in practice, and as a sports better, you want to know when to possibly buy on teams. You know, you kind of start seeing the trend coming up. You're like, okay, they bottomed out. Maybe it's time mm. to get back on this team. You know, people, people, right. people were betting on them and losing here. They probably got off them here, started fading them, and won maybe one or two. Then they're going to keep fading, and possibly this team gets better. And this might be the time that you want to jump on them and uh, and get on them. And there is one team that we're going to talk about with this little curve here that I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you if it did bottom out. But I love it; it's great. Yeah, like Creighton is a great example. I think I, I tweeted something about that when uh, I was like, I wonder what was missing in this little window, and I put I colored this little window, and then I put Kalkbrenner's face on there because uh, <laughs> it was the call. He was, it was gone the Kalkbrenner window. Yeah, yeah, and and you can see it. Here's Creighton kind of climbing up, then Kalkbrenner goes down. You see the thing crash, and then all of a sudden there it is. You see the Kalkbrenner window in there. Yep, yep. He and then comes it comes up a little bouncing bit. right back up again. Yep, yep. Bounce back up. They certainly had a yep. tough schedule, but we'll be talking a little bit about Creighton too, because that's one of the games we pick. So yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love going by this. You just kind of get a, a nice little window snapshot on what these teams are. And I also like how you show the mid-range attempts and mid-range mm-hmm. percentage. Because I don't like teams that shoot a lot of mid-range. You know? And that's I, I, I yeah. It's yep. it's important. It's important to know that mid range shots are worth the same thing as a close range shot, and they're harder to make, and they're from different yep. spots. It's not like almost an exact feeling you get from a three pointer. I'll even show you, uh, for example, just from the Hazometric site. Um, let's just take a look at some of the teams that attempt a lot of mid range shots. Not their percentage, because there's teams that are good mm-hmm. that make everything. But there are tens. You got Bakersfield five and eleven. You got Alcorn State five and ten. Mm-hmm. Wright State nine and eight. But then Mississippi Valley two and sixteen. Alabama A and M five and 10. look at all these teams that taken mid range shots. They're losers. You know they don't. But, win. Then, but, 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 but curiously, look at two who are in there though. Like look at Houston and UCLA. I yeah, mean, yeah. And, and this is and this is kind of the interesting part because I know that this was kind of started by that belt by the Belmont coach years ago. Um, I'm, he's retired. I'm forgetting his name. Um, but it, that, that mentality really got adopted by so many different coaches. And now I think there are, because so many defenses are encouraging that mid range too. now coaches are going the next step and saying, well, if they're going to encourage this, I need to get my guys to start converting these, these mid range twos a little bit more reliably. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that from Houston and UCLA where they're looking and saying, Hey, if I can settle and get an eight-foot jumper, that's not the worst thing in the world. That's probably uh, – and, and that's the balance. What's the bang for your buck by giving up that three-point shot and getting a legitimate higher percentage shot? At what point does that percentage become high enough that it's that's worth more to take a nine-foot jumper than it is, you know, one from 22 feet out? I'm glad you brought that up because there are two outliers 
are for sure Houston and UCLA here, you know, mm-hmm. long on two and 14. But here's the thing. If there are a lot, a lot of teams that run, um, and a lot of teams sometimes will get to a part in the paint that wouldn't necessarily be close to the rim and then just do that little, little, you know, just a little push shot up. I think that would count yeah. as a mid range shot and not a near proximity shot. And I see, I, I used to see Baylor do a lot of those, Kansas. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like they're not at the rim, but they're just shaking the defender, taking like that little eight foot, like just a little hoist, right? I don't know what to call yeah, it. Yeah, and and that's true, and that's the tricky part about using the play by play logs is you're at the mercy of the person at the controls of those play by play logs. And a few years ago, it came back to bite me a little bit. I think I had um, Xavier showing up as 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 a team. I think this was like three or four years ago. Xavier showing up as a team that had a real high mid-range attempt rate. And then I kind of went into the numbers a little bit more, and I'm like, this is not actually true. And then I started watching the film of the games, and I'm like, well, that's a layup, and that's a tip-in, and he recorded that as a made field goal. And again, so that was the issue, and, yeah. and that's the problem. Sometimes you're at the mercy of these guys who are at the controls, and if they're not entering the data properly, there's not much you can do about it unless you actually have to shell out the big bucks and you know how they're they're really taking things, I mean, to the nth degree now, where they're putting microchips in the ball and you know, they're tracking every single player moving on the court. I mean, it's it's a little bit overkill for me. Um, but if you know, if I had that information, I'm sure I could take Haslametrics to the next level. But at that point I kind of asked the question of is it really necessary? I don't know if we necessarily have to go that far. Right. Uh, but you know, people are chasing hundreds of a point now, so what can <laughs> we do? Very true. Well, you know, with, with with the sports gaming industry and sports gambling industry getting more and more popular, people do want that information. So all this stuff is only going to grow. But great point. Right. You know, that's why nothing beats just watching the game. You know, sometimes you just yeah. got to watch the oh, game yeah. and just see how they react to yourself. And uh, if you're a college basketball better or a fan, you know, that's what you do anyway. So I think that's really important. Right. Let's move on to... Uh, the next question, you know, it's funny. You're the site that doesn't show like rebounds. There's a there's a lot of sites that show rebounds, but yours mm-hmm. nec- doesn't necessarily talk about that. How do you incorporate re- rebounds to your metrics? Yeah, so that'll be in that. Uh, so you'll see on the offensive and defensive summaries, you'll see a couple fields in there. Uh, PPSC and one of them's SCC percentage. Those are your second chances that we talked about. So those those situations where a team is getting an offensive rebound, and then getting a quick putback within five seconds. That's identified as one of those two special scenarios where field goal percentage would have expected to be higher. And you think of teams in the past like uh, that have really excelled in that situation, like North Carolina and Baylor are two that come to mind there. And the reason – so you're going to see PPST and PPSC. Potential points off of steals is the other one. Potential points off of second chances um, is the is the second – and the reason I have two for rebounding and one for steals is because the potential points off of second chances can often be dictated by how good of a shooting team you are. So think about it. If you come down every single time and you shoot your first attempt and you make it every single time, you're not going to have any second chance conversion chances because you're making all your first shot. That's true. So if you have a high is- percentage shot, then that's that could be a little misleading if you're only using that stat. Yeah, so you, so that's where SEC percentage comes along. That just says, of all the opportunities that you've had for second chances, how many times have you converted? So that's why you kind of use those two in tandem. And that's where 
that comes into play. And behind the scenes, I look at all these teams and these matchups. So if UCLA is playing USC, you're going to say, well, how likely is USC a lot, you know, going to obtain second chances on the offensive glass? How likely is USC going, you know, how well are they going to prevent them? And then based on that, you can come up with a, a projection of what's going to happen. And you kind of do that across the board in, in second chances. You do it for steals. You even do it in set defense. And that's kind of the whole meat and potatoes behind Haslam metrics. No, I love it. And, you know, the steals thing is pretty important because it's fast break points are uh, really great points. Yeah. They're, 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 they're taking a possession away from that other team. Um, and they're, yeah. and they're actually making the uh, shot on the other end of the basket. So right. it's like a four point swing sometimes in these situations, you know? So I think it's very important right. to, you know, I like being on teams that can do that very well, because if their, their points are off fast breaks, they're stealing the ball, they're playing good defense and uh, th- then they're getting some points. It's weird. It's weird. Cause the steal happens on defense, but then doesn't the stat show on the offense with the play? I think that's kind of funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, right. It, it's it's kind of weird that way, and I kind of have to. I almost kind of have to use that one particular metric in reverse a little bit. So when I'm talking about offense, well, their offensive opportunities versus off of steals, it's technically de- defense creates those offensive op- right, opportunities. So right. it's kind of confusing. I always have to go a little bit reverse when it comes to. I wish I could do another um, uh, special scenario, but it, it's not possible right now. It would actually be a negative. Um, see, these are these are situations where a field goal percentage would normally be higher. I would like to add one where shots go up in the last three seconds of a, of a shot clock. Yeah, but I don't have that. I don't. I might right now. I personally do not do not have access to that kind of data. But if I did, I would love to see how a team like a defense like Virginia, how high that number would be. That yeah. would be really interesting to see. Um, teams that are firing long shots, you know, low in the, with uh, like one or two seconds in the shot clock. Yeah, and the efficiency of them, you know, how how, how mm-hmm. well it works out for them because the teams that can really drain you down and run that clock and pass the ball, make your defense run, and then hit without risking yes. a miss is the those are the teams that really kick ass when it comes to yeah. the big games. So I, I love it. Oh, great stuff, man. Love looking at these numbers. So that's a great answer. And I would like to ask you real quick, what is the most underrated stat on Haslametrics that can be used as a predictor of team success? Well, the two that I really rely on quite a bit, um, at least when I'm looking at, you know, for a team to cover or not, I like the momentum stat and I like the away from home stat. Those are the two that I use uh, Side by side, and and if you look at the the, the game previews, yeah, I'll get you kind of see this little. I'll pick Texas yeah, versus sure. Texas Tech here. Yeah, and you'll kind of see the arrows where there's the advantage. You can see momentum, and then there's consistency, and then there's the away from home. Um, I like to look at the. You know, this is a great indicator. If I if I see something where I'm I'm typically looking for about two and two to two and a half points of value. So if I see something like where maybe a team is favored by four. And Vegas has them favored by two and a half. And I'm like, well, I, it's not enough for me to to pick that team to cover the two and a half. But if I see that they have a sizable advantage in momentum and a sizable advantage in the away from home metric, I'm more inclined to chase after that one. I said that's kind of that's that that's kind of my tipping point to say that's enough for me to go and get it. 
Well, that's um, a great thing because we're dying for that information as sports bettors because it, it, it the Vegas spreads come from the greatest efficiency sites. You know, the Ken Palms, they have the metrics, the Torvix. You know, you, you guys mm-hmm. have it down to a T. You're not far off from each other. You know, so right. it's kind of like uh, it, it makes it more challenging as a sports player because this is the stuff we love to use before the bookmakers and the market used it. Right. So yeah, uh, right. and I remember those days. Those were the good old days. But now it's like uh, we want to find extra uh, meaning, not just in the matchup stats, because what we do is look at matchups, too. Like if, if a team's just going to get all the rebounds and dunk all over this short team, then you got to factor that in, too. But uh, I think it's just another great way of looking at it, because I think when you look at the momentum, it's just the difference of how they're trending based upon their expectation. Correct. So I'm just going to well, what you're looking. Well, yeah, what you're looking at there in that situation is you you kind of take a rolling average of the last four to eight performances. So if you look at like one of those team pages, That's you're going to see saying. those. You're, yeah, you're going to see those game ratings and on the far right side of all those um, in, individual teams. So if you look, you're going to pull up uh, Kentucky or Tennessee here, I think. Tennessee. Yeah. Here. So if you, yeah. So if you look up, uh, go up a little higher, um, and you're going to see right there that far right column where it's going to say rating. Uh, keep go down. It's, it's under the schedule. Okay. Uh, right there, it is. Uh, okay, rating. Yep. That yep, far yep, right yep, column yep, over yep. there. That is your game rating. That is so. That's basically saying for a team in its current position, this is the rating on how you performed in that game. So that is going to change as the season goes on. You may have you may have had a score at one point, and all of a sudden the rate the the algorithm determines that that team is far worse as the season goes along. So your rating may change. Your game rating may change as the season goes along, but based on the team's current position right now, that rating says, Hey, that's how you performed in this game right now. Yep. And so what momentum does is it's going to look at a rolling average of the last four to eight games, and then it's going to compare it versus the entirety of the season and give you an idea of, Oh, in your last four or eight games, You've been here your whole season. You've been here. So this could be a, a marker to say you've got some positive momentum going. So that's the idea behind momentum. Gotcha. It's overperforming your expectations recently from a four to eight yep. game space. And, and and that's what these, you know, the, the differences in the ratings kind of show, right? And, yeah, and I lo- I, yeah, I love the game efficiency ratings. I think those are are really cool to see for me. That's one of the things I'm looking at that all the time. That's the one that's probably my favorite little it's not even a metric out there on the main page because it's a, it's on a game by game basis but just seeing these trends of how these teams perform in that far right column to me is so important well it also shows up a little bit in the graph so there would be a mm-hmm. good you can tell that uh, at this point here on january or november 28th uh, tennessee had great momentum right going from here mm-hmm. to here right. so they were overperforming their expectations by a lot here here so i'm guessing your momentum rater rating was certainly a lot higher on november 28th on tennessee than it is now because they've been at the top now for a while most yeah most definitely and and you're going to look at the you know the team and it, usually it makes sense if you look at some of the teams that are showing a lot of momentum right now um, I think number two right now is Providence, and number three is Dayton. And Providence is on fire the way they're playing right now. And Dayton, it's more um, just that they're kind of starting to play normal ba- Dayton basketball. They were so while. bad. Wisconsin the beat the them. Season. <laughs> I know. I mean, Dayton was bad, and I mean, they've actually come along with considering the injury situation they got in their backcourt right now. 
but they're actually starting to look a little bit more like the Dayton we expected because they were kind of a disaster early in the season. Oh, no doubt, my man. All right. Well, we just did a great job breaking down your site. I recommend everybody check out Haslametrics if you love college basketball. If you're listening to this show, you probably like college basketball anyway, so make sure you check out Haslametrics. Let's get into a couple games then this weekend, and I can't wait to talk about this despicable program with John Calipari <laughs> as the head coach. What is going on with the Kentucky Wildcats, my man? Oh my I mean, God. I don't need a graph. To, for people to know where this thing's going to go. But look at this tanking. Just ever since December 19th, 20th, it is just all the way down. I mean, your rating on this team is pretty low. Uh, mm-hmm. Overall ranking here, uh, I think it's in the 60s, right? Where is that at? Oh, I think it's uh, I think it's all the way down in the 80s now after that, that last nightmare performance. Yeah, yeah, 51 on offense and 137th on defense. Holy cow. I mean, South Carolina, we talked earlier about Minnesota being bad. South Carolina is another one. No business anybody is losing. The, oh. Anybody at that level. Top 75 should not be losing at home to South Carolina under any circumstances. Hey, Paris was and, a and, former Badger uh, coach here. So, yes, that. yes, yeah. correct. Yeah, so good, right. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's a mess for, you know, Kentucky. I mean, and, and I, you know, I, I was going to, a buddy of mine asked me the question, like, what is your biggest surprise this season? And I think for me, it's got to be Kentucky in that, you know, they, they had all the boxes checked. Um, you know, in past seasons, Calipari's teams have struggled in in November and December, but they kind of got their act together. This was the exception. I said that we don't have to worry about that this year because they have their base of of solid core players. They had Shibwe, they have uh, Savir Wheeler, Jacob Toppin. Then all of a sudden, you you plug in. You know, you got that that veteran presence, and you plug in two five star freshmen and in in Casey Wallace and Chris Livingston. You bring in key additions of Antonio Reeves from Illinois State and C.J. Frederick, um, who sat out a year and was a, was a pretty good player in Iowa. And then you have your role players that are returning from last year with Damon Collins and Lance Ware. You have all those boxes checked, and here you are, and you're still ranked in the low 80s based on on your season performance. Um, they've never they've never finished um, worse than 40th in in any of the seasons that I've been doing this. And here they are, twice as bad as, as that right now. It's just, it's just crazy. I'm hearing um, bad things about Calipari. People are saying that coaches say that they don't even have to prepare for him. It, it, I, I don't know about all that. I know that Calipari, it's picking, it's very pick and roll. You know his offense. There's nothing. I've I've seen it before too, and it's been past seasons, and we have always kind of blamed it on you know the young guys. It's always there. You know all these young guys are there for a cup of coffee, and then you know rinse and repeat, and the next batch comes in. It's the same ailment. Um, but that's why I said early in the season, I said, I expect this to kind of happen to, to Arkansas this year because Arkansas seemed like they had all the youth and Kentucky had all this returning experience. I'm like, good. So this is gonna be the fine first time we see Calipari's teams are going to actually have their act together. And I, you know, who knows, maybe they do get their act together. I mean, some teams finally do get it together late. Look at North Carolina last year. There were people talking you know, North Carolina has no business being in the tournament. Didn't have a quad one victory going into like the final week of February or something like that. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is I, I would have figured that Kentucky would have it together by now, the middle of January. And, 
you know, given all the talent and the experience that they possess, but boy, they have just been a train wreck. It's been awful, and it doesn't help them that they're playing the number one or number two team, depending on what you're oh looking at yeah. in Tennessee here. I mean, look at what your spread. You have yeah. this as about a 19-point game in favor yeah. of Tennessee. If you saw, if, if you gave me this spread before the season, I would have hammered on Kentucky, you know? But, geez, oh, yeah. man, I, I, I am scared of this game, but I can tell you a few things in my thoughts of it. I think this spread is not going to be this much. One thing that you do differently than some of the other rating sites is you take away the 2021-22 numbers uh, earlier than they do. So there's yes. So 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 as a comparison, the guys like the Ken Palms and the Targets, they have this as around a 13 point spread, I believe. Um, I'll just uh, you know kind of pull it up to make sure uh, 14 point spread, right? So yeah, so- I th- I think they kind of look. I I'm more attacking who a team is now. I think they're looking for who a team is maybe over like a window over the next month. I think that's kind of their – that's why I think they hold on to that that uh, uh, preseason ranking a little bit longer than me. At this point, I look at it and say a team is – we've identified who a team is. Um, we know who a team can be. No doubt, Kentucky has a high ceiling. The problem is we have no idea. Nobody's going to be able to tell us when that – that you know ceiling is going to be reached or if they're even going to begin to you know perform at a level close to that um so at the time being i'm i'm just interested in who kentucky is now right and you know and then so that's why i put such a premium on recent games i agree with your way completely and the way that kentucky is playing they probably against one of the top two teams possibly would be beaten at their home, at their away court, home court for Tennessee by 19, 20 points. But the problem is, I mean, as a sports better, it's hard to do that because we're looking yeah. for regression here and re- positive regression towards the main. And how much farther right. does this have to dip for this team to not look at themselves? You know, Calipari's like, dude, kids, this is your last chance to actually do something here. It's time. Get your butts out there and do that, man. I think Severe Wheeler, guys like Oscar Tashibwe, you know, they've been with this team a long time. It, it's They're playing for their own dignity at this point. Now, we don't know what the locker room is. But yeah, then right. again, let me talk the other side. I mean, everything says from the numbers that we like to look at, momentum and stuff like that, Kentucky is one of the worst in the nation. I mean, Kentucky's 361st in consistency, 361st in uh, away away home court. So they're bad away. And Tennessee is number 15 at home. So that's not making a good argument for me to back to uh, Kentucky. And then uh, I'm, I'm hammering. I'm hammering that spread. I'm personally hammering that spread. And I think, what did you say? The spread was what, 12 and a half or something like that? Uh, see, I, I, I put 12 and a half because I can't believe that the market's going to. I mean, this was a nine or ten point spread before their last loss to South Carolina. So the market's going to look at it and say this is an overreaction. Okay, so that's that's what I think the market's going to do. We're going to know more Friday night, Saturday morning with this game. I'm going to predict it's going to be thirteen. Okay, let's just say thirteen. Okay, and uh, and uh, I think that all these numbers, you know, to say, well, Kentucky could dip farther. Tennessee is way better than them, but at some point, you know, these kids. Are they that less talented than Tennessee? Are they going to come show up for themselves, not just Coach Cal? You know, I I don't know. 
It's a great question to ask, and it's an interesting one. It's because now we're taking all these bad numbers, 363rd in momentum, 361st in a way of home court, consistency. The consistency is the only one that kind of makes me want to bet Kentucky. And the reason – And I'll say consistency is much more of an indicator as far as over-under goes because you're looking at both offensive – the difference between your expected offensive efficiency and your actual offensive efficiency and also your the same thing on the defensive end. So I always think that consistency is a great indicator for over-under, whereas momentum and away in home court is probably a better indicator for actually covering the spread. Well, I I look at it like consistency – is bad or if you're inconsistent it's bad for a favorite and better for a dog is that fair mm-hmm. because if you're, yeah absolutely if, sure if, if you're a big 15 point dog and you're inconsistent you're either going to lose by 20 or maybe like lose by five or possibly win you know right because that's the inconsistency yeah. i mean okay could you lose by 40 i don't think so but you know i mean this is kentucky and, and but then, you saw that last year. You saw that last year with Iowa and North Carolina. Great examples of teams that were all over the map. They would mm-hmm. you beat the hell out of somebody by thirty. Like here they are. That's the team. And then the next week they lose by thirty and go, "What was that?" Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. both of those teams to a T last year. Yeah, that was both of them to the T. And I noticed that Tennessee's inconsistent and they're the big favorite. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. I would think that maybe a first half. If if you want to get cute with Kentucky, maybe a first half plus eight or something like that. If you can find something like that. I just thought that this was one of the most interesting teams as well. <laughs> I think both of us. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited for you to lay the wood though. If if, if you get, I mean, I want to. I, I look at this and I know it's so easy to look and say, well, this would seem to scream that Tennessee is due for a pullback and Kentucky is due for a, a turnaround, and then it's an easy bet for Kentucky. Here's my problem: I just don't see anything right now that identifies Kentucky as a team that's going to change to anything else because I think. Like you said, we don't know what's going on in the locker room, but everything we've seen right now points to Kentucky being a train wreck, and I think Calipari has to try something different. Otherwise, it's just the definition of insanity. It's the same thing over and over and over and over again. So he's got to try something different. He's got to find the right combination to get somebody different out there who can actually bring this team together. But I don't know if you want to try that while you're playing at Tennessee who is maybe Tennessee's going to be motivated. Right they want to be the time to fade Tennessee is at Mississippi state. The game after this. You yeah. Know, but you know, Tennessee, I would, I would think Tennessee would want to win this game by 30. They're, they're all punch they're, them in the face oh, while they're down. They are. I mean, and that's another issue. See what you say is that you want to predict the regression here on Kentucky, yeah. but, but the problem is when your site says a 19 point spread and it's 14, you don't do that. You're, you're saying, yeah, well, I mean, that's a massive, that's still massive. It's like, it's like, I understand if it was a 20 point like spread, then you're like, okay, this is the yeah. point where I got buy back. But in, in your sake, now, if I was Ken Palm and the, and it was at, and I might think differently if the spread is right on my number, like, well, maybe, but you, like you said, Ken Palm holds on to the preseason stuff. You don't, this is what these teams actually are statistically. Correct. So yes. I just thought this was an amazing case study. For us, to I, I love I love the game, and I like I said, it's 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 a tempting, you know. I, I'm gonna. T- I, I already did this once before, where I had Tennessee covering, and I forgot who it was they played, but uh, I've had a lot of success watching, you know, betting on Tennessee this year, and I'm I just like what I I think that team is legit. Um, I love that defense. That defense it just kills people, um, and I mean they are number one in defensive efficiency for me, and 18 in offensive efficiency, so they've got it going on both ends. Um, weird things happen. You play the game, and I, like I said, all it, it, 
tomorrow Kentucky can all of a sudden get their act together and we would never have seen it coming. We saw that last year with North Carolina. That's North Carolina got their act together, what, in early March? Um, probably a little before the NCAA tournament started, but then they went on that run. And other teams peaked too soon, and we were talking about Iowa being consistent. Remember, Iowa got so hot, and I rolled them through that Big Ten tournament, and then I said, you know what? Because of their inconsistency, they're due. And I ended up picking, in every one of my brackets, I picked Richmond to beat them. And sure enough, Richmond beat them. What a terrible game that was. <laughs> but I can't say the same thing for, for North Carolina. I said, I will not pick North Carolina and Bay- or, or Iowa to go to the Sweet 16 because I don't have any faith that they can win two games in a row. No, I don't either. And Iowa lost their first, but North Carolina ended up winning five in a row. So, all right, well, you never can tell. That's all great points. Let's move on to the next game, Kansas State versus TCU. And this is going to be uh, at TCU. I think I put Pickham on this one for a predictor. Um, I think it should be a round Pickham. Um, I, I put the total at 145. This is another interesting one because Kansas State's on a nine-game winning streak. Nine yeah. oh, games. Yeah. What gives? I mean, 15 and one. Yeah, yeah. dude. I, well, there's a, in the next game we're going to talk about with Providence. I give Jerome Tang a ton of credit, and he, he just yeah. kind of shows up and first year coaching here in this big program. And all of a sudden, boom, he's just kicking butt. But I mean, in saying that you look at TCU, they're a little bit more desperate and blowing that lead to Texas. Uh, They had Texas where, you know, right lock. I thought it was game over. You know, I thought they were up by double digits for most of the first half. At least I think they might've even went into halftime by double digits, double digits. But this is a point where I I'm kind of looking towards TCU. I, I look at the numbers and I'll share my screen on the Haslam metrics here. You know, it, there's nothing that that's massively telling. Now both are yeah, semi inconsistent, yeah. right? Although it's hard to say Kansas State's inconsistent, they keep winning their one score games. I almost feel like the luck factor. I don't know if you do a luck factor. But I almost I do not. I almost feel that uh, Kansas State has gotten lucky just in a lot of these covers. Um, one thing I noticed is that TCU has not been great at home. They rank three hundred thirty second at home, so that worries me a little bit. Both of these teams play pretty fast. I remember the back in the day, Kansas State was a, a slower paced team, but now they are definitely a faster paced team. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm looking all over the board. I guess uh, TCU should have a little bit of an advantage near proximity on defense. I don't like the fact that, um, you know, th- they can't score necessarily near proximity. I know Kansas State is a, has, has a great field goal advantage, uh, field goal percentage. Uh, TCU isn't so shabby itself. But I, just with the home court, if this thing is pick them, I, I probably would lean TCU, and that's one I might play. Any thoughts on the big upset stopping that nine-game winning streak? Well, I think the TCU should be favored in this game. And one of the things, if you look at that screen, look at that uh, on the on the upper right there. If you're looking at, you see Kansas State in possession and you see TCU in possession. You see your efficiencies there on the on the top line where it says EFF, and you can see the ranking. Look at those rankings. They're so close. So in Kansas, exactly, Kansas State. 36th offensive efficiency, TCU 33rd defensive efficiency. When TCU is in possession, TCU 35th offensive position, uh, offensive efficiency, and Kansas State 38th in defensive efficiency. 
that is those teams are so evenly matched and so evenly balanced that if someone said, well, if you had two teams, a team that was basically playing itself and one team was on the road and one team was at home, how much of a home court advantage would you give? Usually people say three points. Well, sure enough, if you look at my projection right now, it's Texas, it's TCU by three. Um, and, and you know, that that feels about right to me. The over-under I have at 148 and a half. I think you said 145. Um, so not that far off. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't really you, you, you can't really argue with the results of what they're getting. Jerome Tang has done one hell of a job. Um, they're much more aggressive defensively this year in your face. They're denying chances behind the three-point line. Um, the other point you made earlier was pace, whereas Bruce Weber was a very deliberate individual. His his paces over the last eight seasons were anywhere from 200th to 350th in that range. Um, Tang is 66th right now. Yeah. So definitely has changed the tempo. Going out, getting um, Keontae Johnson has been a lifesaver. Um, he, he was bringing in, you know, after sitting out all this time with that heart ailment situation, he's bringing in over 33 minutes a game, averages 18.4 points a game, seven rebounds. You pair him with Marquise Noel, who's second in the country in assists, nine a game. Um, really great, you know, solid results from Kansas State, something nobody really saw coming. They were number 77 in the country for us in our preseason rankings. That was dead last in the Big 12. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, here's one thing that I want to point out. So here you say record quality is four yeah. for Kansas State. And that kind of throws me off a little bit because mm-hmm. I look at their strength of schedule. I mean, it was terrible until they faced Texas and you have as the should factor. They should have lost to Texas. They won 116 mm-hmm. to 103. What the hell was that? And then uh, <laughs> and then they lost. Oh, yeah. Then they beat Baylor. <laughs> Baylor was just kind of coming off injuries. Cryer was injured. Um, I mm-hmm. think. uh Flagler might have been injured, but, uh, you know, so, you know, that was kind of like a little bit of a luck situation where that happened, but, you know, you look at all these teams they played, they're mostly in the hundreds. I mean, Butler 78th, I guess they have that win. Oh no, those are lost. Those are lost. So I think they're, you yeah. know, a little bit overrated coming in. Why, why do you have the strength of record as fourth? Well, the strength of record, um, so this, you're looking in that situation, that's going to be largely on the shoulders of that 15-1 and one mark. So your, your schedule strength is still, for Kansas State, still 34th, which is just going to take all of your, I think it just looks at all of your all-play percentages of the teams you've played and kind of averages them out, tweaks them a little bit based on court location. Uh, but record quality is is going to be fourth based on that 15-1 and one mark. Okay. And you are, you know, the fact of the matter is they have played some, some cupcakes, but a lot of people have played cupcakes. That's true. And 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 here they are. And you look at a lot of the teams that they've played, especially look at the, the last four games of what they played, number 29, number 9, number 27, and number 17. Um, obviously, like you said before that, they didn't play a lot of great opponents. They played Nevada, who was 45. They played Butler, who was 78. But, you know, they also didn't do like a Texas Tech thing, where Texas Tech would play teams who were 328 and 347 and 351. Yeah. If you look at the the teams that Kansas State was playing routinely, and you can go down the list, you can see California 183, Kansas City 175, LSU 117, Wichita State 124, Abilene Christian 227, Nebraska 115. So these teams are not bad teams. These are kind of right in the center um, division one teams. And that's kind of why you have that higher strength of schedule for Kansas state, which is um, like I said, I I think it's what I say, 34th Um, record quality is just kind of is, is evaluating your resume. 
So that's looking at all of your games. You, you know, the, the better teams you beat, you're going to get a higher weighting on that particular victory. The losses kind of give you a minimum value. So even if you lose to um, the number one team, you're going to take some kind of a hit. But the idea behind record quality is to say, hey, we want to evaluate your resume. Whereas the all play percentage that you see on the main page is saying, we're just looking at your overall performance and how we would expect you to play going forward. All right. No, great, great way of saying it. They're 15 and one. That's why the record is for it. That's exactly. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. You're right. They're all like hundred teams when TCU, a lot of those guys are in the three hundreds that they played. Um, yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to take TCU all the way up to three. So let's, let's, I'll put that for a couple stars. I'm going to play TCU this game. Um, I think it's time to stop the madness for Kansas state and their crazy <laughs> little run going on. Let's talk about another team. That's got a massive run going on. And that is Providence, Ed Cooley, just being so cool over there. I was on Ed Cooley when he beat Kentucky, uh, UConn, and then I bet on Ed Cooley again, which I shouldn't have, against St. Johnny's, and they barely covered that game. But one thing I did not factor in, and something that kind of jumped me in that, was that Bynum was out, their point guard, mm. you know? So I'm like, yeah. okay, what the hell happened to him? I didn't know he was that injured, and... uh you know, that's how it is. You don't get great information all the time uh, right. being a college basketball fan. And But one thing I will say is that uh, this is amazing because Providence has been amazing. I'm going to pull up here the, some of the stats here. Providence, uh, what's their record? Are they 14-3? and three? You know, so they're doing fantastic yeah. themselves, you know. They have a pretty good record quality of 92nd. Um, well, decent. But, uh, you know, but, sorry, Creighton's ninety second. Um, they have a twenty seventh. That's what I was going to say. Twenty seventh. Yeah. But one thing I did notice is that there is a massive strength of schedule difference with Creighton, and Creighton did not have Cockbrenner. Right? Isn't that the thing? Yes. So, so, right. so I'm predicting this. You know, I think I wrote down three and a half or five. Um, I, I think a lot of the sites are saying this is a five point spread. You have this game about five points. You have it uh, five, and a, five and a half. Yeah, yeah five point four. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Should Creighton be blowing out this Ed Cooley Providence team? Uh, what were your thoughts uh, going into this one? Well, I would say one of the things. Go ahead and click on that Providence link there that you're gonna at the, at sure. the top of the page. And and if you go down to the schedule, take a look at this. Is great. Look at the far right column. Oh, and that look at that. Look yeah. at that. That's all that's all Providence, you know, considering Providence's current um ranking at my site, which is 24th in the country, all those red marks at the top say based on a team who is 24th in the country, those are negative performances. They did not meet the expectation. And all of a sudden something uh, they flipped the switch when they went from November to December. And they went all of those games in a row with positive game efficiency ratings. They turned the corner, and it was a completely different team. So no wonder that that uh, Providence, I think they were number one in, in um, momentum. They're now number two because they just came off a game where they finally came off that high. I think they recorded, what is it, nine straight positive game efficiency ratings. Maybe it's eight. I'm not sure. But they kind of came out of that cloud finally where they played St. John's. They were expected to beat St. John's by about – I want to say about nine or so. They ended up winning that game by only three. So, you know, I guess that's the question now. Do they is this the same Providence team that we saw all through December, or are they now starting to come back to earth? Very similar to what UConn did. You know, UConn came out of the gate so hot, and then all of a sudden they just kind of hit a wall, and then you just kind of hit a lull for a few games. Are we entering into a new lull 
for Providence here because they did have a, lo- a long time, four or five weeks of, of consistent success. Are they due for a pullback? And right now I have Creighton by about five and a half. Um, Creighton playing at home. I like what Creighton's doing. Keep in mind, Creighton is – my numbers still take into account a big chunk of games where Kalkbrenner where wasn't there. So yeah, because you, you don't take me, out for injuries. Nobody really correct, no, correct. No, it's too hard to do that. You know, it's it'd yeah. be way too hard to go through all these three hundred sixty-three teams and just to be adjusting for guys coming in and out. That would be yeah. I, I don't know how you would do it. And and um and in, so my question is, you know, I, I almost think that maybe that you know, I, I if I have Creighton at five and a half, is Vegas going to go more than that? Is Vegas going to go six and a half or seven? It depends if Bynum's in. And and do you, are you ever right. going to show individual stats of the players on your site? I I, I have no intention to it at, at this point. Not to say never say never, but I I looked into that years ago. I I started breaking things down at the player level. I want to say going back to 2016 or 2017, and it was a little bit of the I I didn't want to go that far. I, I thought it was inconclusive to a certain degree and in some cases misleading. And so I elected not to go that route. I kind of had that little phrase I like to use. Sports analytics should be like digging a grave. Six inches isn't, isn't not enough, but 600 yeah. feet is just plain overkill. And I kind of look and say, based on how far I w- was willing to go and thought was reasonable to track, I kind of said, I just kind of want to stay at the team level. Now, I know that others are out there now breaking down what are the best you know, three guys to have on the court at the same time. You know, that's that's great if they want to chase that. But for me, I just kind of thought there wasn't a lot of value. Well, there, so. I, I don't think you should. But here's the thing. I, if there is any way to adjust for injury, you'd have to have player stats, individual factor into yeah. every single game. And c- kids quit, kids transfer. I mean, the kids come back. It's hard to do that. You'd have to say Kulkbrenner was out this, but now we know he's in this lineup, so here's the lineup. But the problem is the big questionable. When people are questionable, you don't know how to do that either. So I totally agree. Six, We'll keep it six feet, my man. It it gets a little bit too far. So my my thoughts are if Bynum is not in, uh, in, in this situation, then I would probably... Uh, I bet Creighton all the way up to seven, seven and a half points. I think that uh, uh, Jared Bynum is just that important. Uh, he's got the, uh, I believe, the highest assist rate in the uh, for the team. So that's very important. Uh, and you saw them play the Johnnies, you know, St. John's without them. So he, they did not mm-hmm. perform well. This could be, like right. you said, a regression spot. I would lay it all the way up to seven. If he is playing, probably five and a half is a good number. You know, I, I yeah. I don't think five and a half would be uh, uh, too far off. All right, man. Well, let's just quick throw out one more game since we have about five minutes. Um, okay. Obviously, we have a massive Saturday. I, I wish Portland was doing better. They were my early darling when they beat Villanova. I was on yeah. them, but uh, they, they've got hurt, actually. They're, they've been pretty hurt. Um, I'd like to say Virginia-Florida State should have been a good game, but Florida State well, is just bad now. Um, well, they got Bobo back now, right? But I, I didn't see how he did in his first game. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, what, when was that? Did he play? I'll just pull up Florida State. It, So it, I think his first game coming back was the 
<coughs> excuse me, the 11th. So that would have been the against Wake, <coughs> the 15, the 15 point loss at Wake Forest. So obviously he didn't make that much of a difference. He won't right away, but he'll, they'll probably start trending up a little bit, which is interesting. <laughs> but not not really looking to bet on Flor- uh, a Florida State team against Virginia. And even though I believe it probably is at home for Florida State too. So yeah, uh, yeah, is. yeah. Don't want to. Not not super excited to run and bet Virginia. Um, I think Florida State will get better though. That this could be this this could be the spot for them. We'll see. Um, why don't we go Auburn Mississippi State? Uh, Auburn number twenty two, Mississippi State number sixty three. You know Auburn just recently had a stinker themselves. Um, I think they just lost to was it Georgia? Let me pull this up here. Auburn just Uh that's sound well, I know. I think Mississippi State was the one that just lost to Georgia. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's who it was. Georgia uh, Mississippi Mississippi State's a mess right now. No, Auburn lost to Georgia seventy six to sixty four on Wednesday, oh, January fourth, it looks like. Oh, okay, because okay, I'm yeah. looking here and I see Mississippi State just lost at Georgia this past just yesterday georgia on Wednesday, georgia must Wednesday. be trending up i'm sure that's showing up on the Hasla a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're 107 that's better than they've been in the past when yeah. cream was there well there you go you know auburn's an interesting team um bruce pearl you know obviously a lot of people have a lot to say about bruce pearl but uh you know he's still there and he's uh brought this team far but never far enough you know i don't, I don't remember if they've gotten any final fours or anything they should have they should have in some of the power they have you know, they have a very good record quality. They're at 14th when uh, Mississippi mm-hmm. State is at 48th. You know, uh, their strength schedule is 18th. Mississippi State's 129th. Auburn has kind of had a, a lot harder. Uh, I don't like Mississippi State's momentum right now. They're like one of the dead last in momentum. So that makes me wonder yeah. if they're kind of just uh, in take mode right now. I remember everyone was talking about Mississippi State earlier in the season when you see all this green right here on the right under the rating. But uh, then all of a sudden, here comes the red, you know, coming on in, yeah. and, uh, and there they are. You know, they're losing when they hit the SEC schedule. I think that mm. possibly continues. I think they're just kind of one of those, you know, playing defense, uh, playing against these smidge teams that no whistles are being called on their, you know, on their fouls. I, I just think this could be a spot where Auburn rolls. And I don't even think you're going to get that bad of a spread. I think it's going to be a single-digit spread. You're probably going to be looking at six or seven points. I, I consider laying it with Auburn here. What, anything on Auburn this year or Mississippi State? They do play slow. Yeah, I I really kind of do like following and just kind of saying a team is who they are at the present moment. And and it's 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 you know Mississippi State is kind of the anti-Providence. We looked at that that uh, team summary of Providence where it was. A lot of reds at the top and a lot of greens at the bottom. Well, this is the exact opposite. If you look at uh, Mississippi State's page, it's the first nine games. They were 9-0. and They actually went 11-0. and uh, But in their first nine games, they were 9-0, and and they had positive game efficiency ratings in all nine. Then they follow that up with seven of eight in the red. Um, they did have a positive game efficiency rating against Ole Miss, which was back in the seventh. But other than that, they had six in a row that were negative. They had their most recent one was a loss at Georgia, um, and and that's the thing they lose games, but it's it's how they're losing the games as well. Like they're losing the Tennessee at Tennessee. So is that really bad? Did you lose at Tennessee? No, and it's not so bad. But for a team in their current position, they should lose that game by about uh, I think I said a sixty-seven to fifty margin, so a seventeen-point loss. What did they end up doing? They lost by 34. 
and they gave up 87 points. So that is definitely a negative, a negative appearance. And then even in a win, you know, they they was they played Nichols, who was you ranked 241. Um, they're supposed to win that game by about 15, 70, 71, 56. They win that game by two. And that was kind of, again, that's that's the, the idea behind it is you can still win games, but you can still be playing lousy basketball. That's what we're trying to identify. And what we're seeing right now is Mississippi State is currently playing some pretty lousy basketball. Now, they could bounce back at any time, but I always like to look at it and say, whenever I see a trend of like three games or four games, I follow that trend. I think that trend is going to last longer. Mississippi State has gone a little bit longer right now. Are they due to turn things around, get back to normal? I mean, that's up to the better to decide, but I'm I'm still sticking with Auburn probably. Yeah, yeah, don't disagree with that. I don't even think an under is a bad look for this one because Mississippi State does play so slow, and they just have not been scoring in their games. I mean, if you look at some of these uh, – here, I pull it up here. If you look at some of their losses here – uh, 67 points, 52 points, 53 points. You know, they barely beat Old Miss. Well, they, well, they beat them by 10, but 64 to 54, another slow, yeah. grudgingly ugly game. 50 to 58 is where they lost at Georgia. Team total Old Miss under, possibly, because Auburn will play some defense as well, um, mm-hmm. or, or possibly just a straight up under look in this game. Might be where I'm at. You know, it's kind of weird. Bruce Pearl. I always kind of looked at him as a little bit faster of a pace coach, too. So they've slowed it down a little bit in Auburn. Yeah, I wonder what that, that over-under is going to be. If it's going to be – I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to probably come in around 128. My analytics are placing it closer to 123. And depends on whether or not I chase that. And the reason I might be inclined to is because the projected margin is somewhere in the neighborhood of seven. If you're talking about a projected margin of three or less, that's usually when I'm going to stay away. I try to, I t- I try to stay away – as much as possible on unders on close games, just because of the possibility of overtime screwing everything up. I got burned on that the other night on, on one of those games. Foul city um, too. Foul city can yeah. happen in those close games, you know, down five, 30 <laughs> seconds left back and forth. Yeah. You know, that, yep. Man, that's that's a killer. No, no good stuff, man. Well, we're out of time, Eric, man. Thank you so much for coming on, breaking down your site it is so useful for me myself and definitely all the listeners out there where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and you know we were we visited there a few times but i'm out there at haslametrics.com um but if you want to meet me or talk to me just kind of interact with me i got a lot of followers over on twitter um my handle is haslametrics just try to have fun with it you know i think a lot of like we talk about the analytics of the game and i think there's you know in the last few years especially i think that people have kind of treated college basketball like we're curing cancer. And I always try to remind people that while what I'm doing here is kind of scientific, at the same time, we got to have fun with it. And that's kind of one of the things I preach at the same time. So while I'm putting this out here, I love just engaging different people. I have a lot of different fan bases um, that just kind of, I, you know, I, I throw random shit at people and, <laughs> and they throw it back at me. And you got to have to, you have to be self-effacing. You got to have a little fun with it. And that's the thing. That's what I try to do. I, I kind of treat this these five months as kind of a roller coaster ride, and then I kind of step away for seven months and then do it again. So oh, I just love the interaction. It's it would not be the same without the people that that you know interact on a daily basis on Twitter. Oh, it's so. a good time. You're a great follow on Twitter. So if you don't follow Eric, you got to follow him. I love some of his reactions to these games. It is absolutely great. <laughs> uh, make sure you guys check out Eric from Eric from Haslametrics.com. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this show. If you have any questions, feel free to tweet us at the Oddsbreakers. Enjoy. 
the weekend. Enjoy all the games and go get some winners. <laughs>